Welcome to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast. Well, many thanks for joining us on the Journal of Biophilic Design today. Um, we're really excited to be joined by Lily Turner. She's an environmentalist. Um, she's a biophilic designer and a living walls specialist. She's also director of Green Walls at Urban Strong. Uh, Urban Strong is a design build maintenance firm offering services for green building technology solutions. Um, in 2013, she co-founded Urban Blooms, a non-profit to bring large scale publicly accessible living walls to dense urban environments. And she's also um, shared a case study of multi-sensory living wall that they installed in a corporate office in New Jersey. And it's featured in our fourth issue, which I've got holding up here, um, our Cities edition. So make sure you get your hands on a copy. Um, you can buy it on our website, journalbiophilicdesign.com or also on Amazon. So Lily, many thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm very excited. That's lovely. Thank you. Um, well, first of all, can you tell us about yourself, please? What got you interested in nature and the environment? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I would say growing up, I was fortunate enough to spend the entirety of my summers in, in mid-coast Maine. Um, I'm actually currently in a, a town uh, here now that I grew up going to, and their slogan is where the mountains meet the sea. So clearly for a kid, I mean, the kids are kings and queens here. They just roam the land and they play outside all day. So it was instilled in me from a very young age. Um, but then when I was older, after high school, I started working more with uh, communities and um, it was actually post uh, Hurricane Katrina. So I was re rebuilding homes, uh, restoring landscapes, uh, repairing like drip irrigation systems and fields and, and got to do a lot of uh, great community projects. And, and that kind of set me up um, or kind of warned me up to launch Urban Blooms, which really wanted to bring greenery back into the built environment to benefit the community members. So why do we need um, a joined up uh, approach to design, planning and development? Um, what do you think is going wrong or what the challenges are with how we design now? To start on a positive note, historically, like green building um, or green designers, this was a, a bottom up movement. People really fought for green space because they believed in it or thought it was just nice to have. Uh, but now we're seeing a shift, which is really great. Uh, we're seeing levers being pulled from the top down and people are really recognizing that greenery is a necessity rather than um, an amenity and also just a sound economic investment in their people and their buildings and their portfolios. That being said, there are still very real silos that still exist in our design and, and planning approach. Um, and the community members and the occupants are ultimately the ones paying and suffering for that. Nature and cities are still being thought of as mutually exclusive. And I think we're quickly approaching, not to be dramatic, this tipping point to our planet's destruction. In recent years, I've taken a glass half full kind of perspective. I think anyone working or advocating for green building um, would have to maintain that attitude just to get out of bed every day. Um, but yeah, we, we see a lot of developers still building with um, hard materials such as brick, concrete, glass, and steel. And we've really been pushing um, our ecosystem and the services that they graciously provide out uh, further and further of our city limits. Yeah, and, and obviously putting living walls in and green spaces, it's so important, isn't it? Because obviously clear and, and all those um, good things. Um, I mean, how do you think we should be approaching design and planning differently? I think a major one and something that's pretty um, relevant right now, especially in New York City, is just continuing to draft and support policy and regulation uh, to implement these green spaces um, or even solar in our built environment. Uh, but more so, I think new language and concepts need to be introduced. Um, sustainability has become rhetoric and, and clouded our view of the actual state of things in our products. Uh, so adding to our lexicon is also a major part of it. 
Um, and then lastly, breaking down silos when looking at the built environment is also really crucial. Um, adopting a more collaborative and holistic approach, I think, is really the only way forward. Um, if we look at Singapore's journey, um, I think it represents a, actual, a nice beacon of hope and, and their government's response should be seen as inspiring to the United States and other major offenders around the world. Absolutely. Um, and you say about, you know, I'll change our lexicon. Um, so obviously, people do sustainability and biodiversity, and it's almost sometimes a bit of greenwashing. You know, there's almost to be ticking a box because they put a few plants in or they've, you know, like you say, put a solar panel on or something. Um, but, you know, using like regenerative and, you know, restorative. But the regeneration, I think, is a really important um, aspect, do you think? Yes, absolutely. Um regeneration, um, adding the isms also to our words could also be a, a major uh, a player and extremely helpful, um, but just kind of trying to shift um, people's behavior um, and also just creating more awareness. So I also give presentations um, on uh, living walls and, and biophilic design in general, probably weekly now to architects, not in just the New York City area, um, but also all across the country, because now with all of our uh, video and uh, conferencing platforms, you're able to do that. So I think it's, I, I hope that it's not just an issue anymore of people not wanting or ignoring the uh, obvious benefits of biophilic design, but maybe just not realizing the potential. Um, living walls and, and preserved moss walls can be seen as striking forms of art, especially when you add a nice frame or incorporate, you know, our colorful foliage. However, they're extremely functional um, and they offer a myriad of uh, environmental, psychological and, and physiological benefits as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, why is biophilic design important to you personally? Yeah, I've, I've been doing this for almost 10 years. I don't, it's funny that I've never been asked that, I guess. Um, I just see it as this is the way forward. This just mm -hmm. kind of has to happen. I, I don't know how we're going to survive without it. Um, but I will say I, I did take a break from um, Living Walls for a year. And I actually worked in um, corporate America for a global company. And their headquarters, which was in Cincinnati, Ohio, where, where I'm from, um, not to put anyone down over there, the interior designer, but I mean, it was just LED flickering lights, old drab carpet. There were maybe a few windows on the complete other side of the building. And, and there were dozens of people stuffed in this floor and cubicles. And I was just like, how do you guys get anything done? I mean, like it really affects your cognitive performance and, and your creative thinking. And I think absolutely that contributes um, to productivity and of course sales as well. Um, so even if you don't believe in it for the, um, psychological or the, the social benefits. I mean, uh, think about your ROI uh, when you're incorporating and thinking about um, green spaces into your, your new office design. Yeah, so, it's the economic benefits, which is often the swinger, isn't it? If you know what I mean? So yeah, um, it's really important. How do you use uh, biophilic design in your practice? I mean, obviously you touched on it and obviously you use living walls and, um, but um, how do you use biophilic design in your practice? Yeah, with biophilic design, I'm sorry, um, there are three pillars. Uh, my playground is nature in the space. So quite literally, I bring living plants um, and preserved moss into the built environment to, again, maximize those benefits that we uh, touched on. So um, depending on the stage of the project, um, on any given day, I am working with architects and designers, uh, collaborating with the MEP teams or the plumbing and electrician uh, engineers to really try to weave um, these green wall solutions into um, mm -hmm. not just the lobbyway, but really into the DNA of the building. So it just uh, works out in a seamless aesthetic where it's just extremely functional and, and keeps, uh, sorry, keeps costs low for the client. 
um, because a lot of our living plant walls, we uh, have uh, weight requirements, but also uh, plumbing and uh, lighting requirements as well. Yeah, of course. Um, and obviously, if you can get in early and actually, like you said, I like the way, you know, you can weave it actually into the fabric of the building right from day one. Yeah. Absolutely. We're, we're currently working on a project and we're really recommending that um, we uh, recirculate and use harvested stormwater as wow. uh, the primary source for the for the living wall. It's been done in Europe. It has yet to be done in the United States project, um, but, you know, we'll see. Okay, oh, really, because obviously I've, I talked to quite a few European designers and it seems to be a, a thing that everybody, not everybody does, but it's like it's a sort of common common practice almost over here or it's like the assumption is that oh can we do at least we can ask the question but um I didn't realize that so well good for you I hope you uh <laughs> hope you achieve that um and uh, maybe you could write in the journal for that again actually um yeah. <laughs> biophilic design is all about senses and sensory kind of aspects from you know smell light taste um also the haptic sort of side of things and that the non-rhythmic kind of movement which obviously plants give us I mean, how can we do that? How can we create or help create these sort of multi-sensory or that multi-sensory aspect of biophilic design with living walls? Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, having occupants be able to uh, literally access the wall um, yeah. is is a, a massive factor and something, again, we always push for. Um, just having them uh, kind of involve and interact with it is, is a big thing. But also you can take it a step further and try to actively draw people to the wall using uh, aromatics or um, even recently we worked on a project where we uh, incorporated species that released um, a really playful like kind of chocolate or, or almost like a chocolate cake scent, if you can picture it. Uh, there's also uh, some great vanilla scents you can work into the wall and, and citrus as well. Um, so it just takes a, it a step further. Um, and then also we uh, use plants that when in bloom would match the furniture or closely match the furniture uh, in the surrounding space as well, which further supported the uh, interior designer's intent and story. Yeah, it's lovely. Um, as, you, as you said, I think as well, there's uh, what I love about living walls is when you get close to them, they, they feel different. There's a temperature shift. Is that right? Yeah. Or am I imagining that? No, absolutely. Plants, I mean, it's similar to walking in a greenhouse. So plants can and will create relative humidity. Uh, that's actually one of the benefits, especially if they're of scale. Um, but yeah, just think of the feeling uh, that you, you you have when you walk into a greenhouse. For me, my shoulders drop, my, my eyelids uh, become significantly lighter. I just feel more relaxed. So bringing that into a high stress environment, like an office or even a rehabilitation institution, I think is extremely important and I think we'll see those more and more as our healthcare system changes and our education systems change as well yeah exactly also I'm, I'm sort of hoping to lobby lobby you know a bit more with the government here to yeah. um to bring about a policy change so that we get biophilic design into the healthcare system um and it's you know and also it's, it's fine saying oh yeah you know well let's put it in the lobby let's put it downstairs let's put it outside but actually you need it where the patients are you need that to have for them to have a view or to benefit from that and I understand about the sort of cleaning and sort of um, chemical sort of side of things but being able to at least you know create spaces with glass maybe so they can see through and see the plants grow and and then everybody can benefit from them I think um, I think we can do much more with design and again like you're saying about the whole kind of joining up between the planners the architects the designers absolutely yeah I mean can you explain how living walls benefit workplaces a little 
Absolutely. Um, even a sightline view to the outdoors, we know there's significant benefits. Um, you have reduced your experience, reduced stress levels and function. Um, so taking that idea and bringing lush living walls or even preserved moss walls because your brain is still regis registering, I'm sorry, as it's something natural and green um, can boost productivity, again, enhance creativity and cognitive function, and that leads to increased sales. So let's talk about a call center, for, for example. They might be tasked with making 50 or 100 calls a day. Maybe that could increase by 10 or 20. But again, there's ROI associated with that. So kind of like we were saying, if people aren't sold on the environmental or the aesthetic benefits, um, let's look at the ROI and try to push that conversation forward. And then also just having in your lobby or office way, you're communicating uh, this message of progressiveness and, and sustainability, whether it be greenwashing or not, to your investors, your clients, your partners, um, everyone involved in supporting your company. I mean, I think there's such a pressure on businesses as well to try and achieve net zero, to try and look like they're doing something. As you say, you know, it could be greenwashing. But also I think I think there is a subliminal message that does go through the to the staff that at least the company is trying to do something. And and even if, you know, there is a greenwashing thing, the staff who are there can have a, um, it kind of inspires them to behave in a more um, uh, sort of sustainable way, if you want, you know? So it kind of inspires them to appreciate the planet. Because if especially if they're in, in a city and then maybe that the whole, you know, journey has been from concrete block of flats, you know, to uh, concrete apartments down on the subway, you know, concrete, 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 metal, metal casing, come out, glass box. And yeah, so being able to at least see something in the space. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually just giving a presentation to uh, this this architecture firm. And one of the stats in, in the infographics in my presentation, uh, the architect, it really resonated with her. And it was that we spend on average 93% of our time indoors between commuting to and from work, the actual time spent in the office, and then of course, back to our home. And then when we sleep, hopefully a good seven, eight hours, um, it really racks up. And we don't realize that, but when we hear it, it's like, my God. And she came up to me after the presentation and she was like, I'm dead serious. That's why I invested in a convertible. So in the warmer months, I could at least experience and look out at stoplights. I'm like, that's pretty creative. I've never heard that before, but um, it's, yeah, it's a very real statistic that we should be uh, reminded of. Yeah, absolutely. And that's obviously a, a huge, huge reason why we need biophilic design. Um, uh, and it's also down to equity as well, isn't it? That people who, you know, generally can't live in the you know further away or have a bigger house with a garden and the space um, particularly if you're in a city you're probably in a you know smaller apartment you you are you know don't necessarily have that direct access to greenery and nature and that outdoor space and um, I think it's really important even if we can bring it into the workplace you know whether that's healthcare schools wherever their workplace is because obviously we always think when people talk about workplace it's always assumption it's an office but there's so sure. many different types of workplaces. I mean, even construction, um, they're, they're still sort of surrounded by concrete and that because they've chopped all the trees down. Um, but anyway, that's another sort of political point, which I probably won't talk about because I could right. go on about that for ages. But, um, you know, even if there's a space that they can, I mean, even in living, I've, um, I've seen, you know, where you can outside a construction site where they, sometimes it's, it's pretend, it's a pretend living wall. But when they yeah. put real plants there, obviously it's it's helping master the sound, it's absorbing the, you know, the dust particles and and it's just so amazing. Um, you know, to see you feel like there's like life and you almost like the building people. <laughs> Absolutely. I think, yeah, living 
facades, you know, temporarily thrown up for to block off construction sites could, of course, benefit the construction workers inside of that area, but also on the outside too. It's it's a bit more exciting and inspiring than yeah those gross fences that are wrapped in that heinous orange kind of uh, construction felt. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's just horrible. Even if they printed on I'll those. Get, you know? I'll get on that. Maybe I should start marketing that to construction companies. <laughs> yes, definitely. You definitely should. <laughs> I mean, maybe could you give us an example, actually, of where you've installed a living wall um, and it's made an impact on people there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would probably want to talk a bit about the project that we started chatting about in the beginning of the call. Um, yeah. You know, that that school project that we just completed, the kids were a part of the process since the beginning. Um, they secured the funding. They made their case with not just the internal um, uh, school employees, but also the, the architects and designers that were pushing more for an LED screen just to project uh, you know, photographs of, of landscape and imagery. And they kept saying, why can't we have the real thing? You know, we, we don't want those lighting posts outside in the parking lot. That's not going to help us. We want something where all the students can can access it. So we just completed a 120 square foot uh, living wall still wrapped around the the TV monitor that they always wanted. But uh, the kids were great. They, they picked out the plants and, and helped with the design and they absolutely working the wall into their curriculum. So not just studying the biophilic um, benefits, but we also included species that are easily um, able to uh propagate. So a lot of pothos, um, satin, uh, philodendrons and, and things like that. So they can continue to grow and hopefully bring home their own plants um, right off the wall. Oh, that's, that's really nice. So you kind of got the kids involved um, in the process too? Yes, absolutely. We, we yeah, use the kids as a Trojan horse. No, no, it was their idea from the beginning, but um, they were, they were really fantastic and, and they persevered. It was incredible to see. Yeah, that's going to be amazing when you go back once you've installed everything and, and you go back and you actually see the difference that it's made to the teachers yeah. as well, I should imagine, because that's really stressful. I wouldn't like to be a teacher now. I would. Yeah, if I was a teacher at that school, I'd probably just sit in front of the wall every day and have my lunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It was that, been that amazing. You can create spaces for people to have that respite. So. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I'm listeners. I am. I'm just so that I'm booking her in. There will be um, an article from from Urban Strong <laughs> um, about that that um, that piece in the next issue. So in our education issue, um, which will be issue seven. Can you believe it? So uh, amazing. Um, so I, I was going to ask you because uh, obviously you you do moss walls as well, and um, and you touched on earlier about how you can put them in a frame and you can make them like pieces of art. And I, I've seen some of your work, and it just looks amazing. And again, listeners, I will put some images um, of the work on um, journalofbiophilicdesign.com, which accompanies this uh, podcast. There's a whole thing about living moss, and then this sort of dried moss. Or is there a difference? I don't know. <laughs> Educate me. <laughs> sure. Um, so I actually don't have much experience with living moss, aside from, you know, seeing a, a Pinterest article and trying to make my own moss milkshake and then graffiti on, on the oh. outside of my house. Um, it, it didn't exactly work, but <laughs> I, as I know it, living moss is still highly experimental. So yeah. I, I personally wouldn't feel comfortable uh, working into a project. It doesn't mean companies um, that are bigger and badder than, than us haven't figured it out. I'm sure uh, they're very successful in it, but we work with preserved moss. Um, yeah. So it's been treated in a food safe, uh, great 
glycerin. Um, and then also uh, natural food dyes have been uh, worked back into it to kind of bring back the vibrancy of it. Um, so with that process, it lasts about nine, eight, nine years. My oldest moss wall is coming up right around on nine years and it's still looking pretty good and it's a, in a pretty high traffic lobby area. So I'm very proud of that. Um, but preserved moss, I mean, I've always kept it in my back pocket because I just love living plant walls so much, kind of like you can't replace that feeling of coming up close to it and feeling that air and, and getting to touch it. And, and sometimes when you do that with um, faux foliage or some even preserved dried moss, uh, that's, you know, um, not as great quality on this, on the market, you, it, as soon as you touch it, it's, you know, you lose all the romance to it basically. Mm. Um, but I think our preserved moss is treated in a way that it's still soft to the texture and, and that holds uh, for several years. And it's a great solution when you can't bring plumbing or lighting into the space. Um, people still deserve greenery, especially if uh, they can't set up an office by a window or the patients don't have windows in, in their rooms, like we were saying. Um, and it's extremely flexible because it doesn't need uh, water or light. So you can wrap it around curves. Uh, you can cut it to any shape. You can incorporate logos um, if it's a sizable, uh, of a sizable dimension. Um, I, I think preserved moss is really great. I actually recently installed a preserved moss ceiling and I thought that was just to kind of play a trick on the visitors and the employees like, oh, you know, look up while you're walking. But it was actually to um, absorb uh, sound traffic and, and, and noise, which again, moss walls, uh, you don't get the air purification benefits, but they can be highly functional, not just aesthetics or, or alternative forms of art. They can absolutely uh, boost moods and, and enhance feelings of well-being and also absorb sound. Wow, that's that's amazing. Um, I don't even know, like I'm, I'm a visual artist, so I do a lot of, um, I do sort of line drawings and all that kind of stuff and I sketch and blah, but I also have photography and I'm just, I'm just sort of thinking how you could incorporate, you know, you could sort of trans, transcribe almost an image with moss because you can get really detail with it, can't you? You can kind of break it up yeah. and sort of. Absolutely. Um, your pixels are essentially the size of a quarter because that's like one little bundle of, let's say, reindeer moss, you know. So, okay. again, it has to be of a certain size, but we just installed um, a six foot high and 11 foot long um, moss wall and we created an image per the client's request their construction building firm in new york city and they you know this was going to be a focal point of their lobby it was right behind their reception desk and they wanted to create uh the new york city skyline or cityscape and not just that but it being reflected into the river so basically we have flipped imagery i'll, I'll just send you the photo i think you'll you'll get some joy out of it but uh, it was probably our most detailed moss wall yet um, it's a bit like Monet, but when you get off the elevators and, and you're walking in, it's just such a clear cityscape image. And of course, if you get up close to it, you're like, what am I looking at? It's a bit blurred, but um, wow. it's, it was, it was a, quite a challenge for our team and it came out really well. Wow. That's amazing. Um, yeah. So if, if, if I appreciate my eyes to, to what Moss can do. Um, I've seen, I've seen some really great um, kind of uh, abstract shapes and I've seen the branding and things that people have put with Moss. Um, but that, but, you know, creating pictures like that um, must be really amazing. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to to seeing that. Um, and if, is it okay if I put it alongside the the article that goes with the yeah um, absolutely the, the podcast? Okay, great. So people listening, um, please go to journalofbiophilicdesign.com. Go to the podcast tab and um, and then search for for Lily Turner. So and um, the name will come up as you search on the page. Um, so before I ask you the final question, Lily. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to add? 
I, I think green walls have, have been, again, historically looked at it an emerging design trend, but I think that was just to kind of kickstart the movement. And now we're, again, starting to realize the very real benefits that they can bring to our cities and our, and our work and uh, healing spaces. And I'm just really excited for, I've already been in this industry for almost 10 years. So I'm really looking forward to the next 10 years to just see how these systems advance and, and evolve and how we can uh, further integrate technology too, because that is going to be uh, a critical part of the conversation as well. Lovely, thank you. Well, um, so the final question, if you could paint the world with the magic brush of biophilia, Lily, what would it look like? Um, yeah, I, I mean, obviously all of our facades and roofs would be wrapped in greenery, but more so, especially in city environments, rather than just a green roof, I think I would want uh, apiaries and, and um, uh, bird's nests and um, also just rooftop farming, food, food grown on every building, just to kind of uh, mitigate and just actually wipe out all the food deserts that are still very apparent in bigger cities. Um, and of course, interior and exterior uh, walls would be just wrapped in, in uh, foliage and um, just living, breathing plants, but more so again, getting intentional about uh, selecting native species specifically known for uh, attracting pollinators and also incorporating again, those nesting boxes, which is uh, really, really important to the future of our migratory species. Um, but yeah, just, just greenery probably everywhere. Thank you for listening to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast.